Please stand as you are able for the reading of today's scripture passages from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 12, and from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. <clears throat> Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger and bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the word of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. It is so wonderful to be with you this morning and for us to worship together. Thank you, Angela and Parker, for reading the scripture for us and for Greg. Thank you and the bell choirs for doing that. I almost see him, saw him pull a sister act. He kind of did like this a little bit. I love that. Um, and for the choir, Patsy and James, thank you so much. It is a wonderful day for us to be together, as you all heard a few weeks ago. Probably this is the last time I get to preach. In fact, somebody asked me, are you a guest preacher today? Well, maybe I'm the guest preacher today, but I bring you greetings from our senior pastor, Davis. He's praying for us. He loves us, and he's with us as we walk through this Sunday morning. To our seniors, thank you for your stories. We always say your gift is a presence. Your presence is a gift to us. And indeed, through this video, we've heard how your presence has been a gift through your time here. And as you move on to the next chapter of your life, may God be with you. May God keep you and use you wherever you may end up. To our mothers, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for loving us and showing us the way. So the text we just heard this morning led me to ponder, and I want to start with a confession I was not a perfect child. <laughs> Probably some of you say, I know that. <laughs> well, when you heard that text, what came through your mind? What is your family like? Yesterday, I texted my siblings and I asked them, what is one question that defines our family? What is one word you can use to define our family? Now, as you can imagine, siblings, everybody had some goofy thing to say. But one of them said the word is sharing. And I think I like that word because in my family, we shared everything. And everything we each possessed belonged to everyone. No one had anything to his name or her name. Before we moved to Tennessee, we lived in California in the East Bay area called Walnut Creek, San Francisco area. And one day, my phone rang, and it was my friend, Doug Stevens. Doug was a seasoned pastor, and he called because he wanted to invite me to go on a men's retreat. Doug would organize men's retreats for men who lead companies to go to Costa Rica to pray, but also to find spiritual and emotional renewal. And I joined the group. I didn't pay for it. It was a lot of money. I just went because somebody dropped out. But during this re uh, re retreat, 
every night we would gather around a bonfire and Doug would ask us multiple questions to reflect on our life. And on this one particular day, Doug asked a question that has stayed with me for a very long time. And the question is this, what did you learn from your family that you would like to keep? And what did you learn from your family that you would like to let go? We were six guys, and every guy started giving multiple answers. We all had a lot of good things to say that we had learned from our families. But also the guys shared some difficult things they had picked up as children in their families, and they wanted to let go. I was in my 20s, and the oldest guy on the team was 69. You see, families serve many roles in our lives. When we are born, family is the first neighborhood we know and get attached to. It's in our families that we discover our first teachers. So this day, how might you answer this question? What did you learn from your family that you would like to keep? And what did you learn from your family that you would like to let go? The guys shared and I shared, and for me, I discovered that I had learned something that I actually wanted to let go. It was difficult to come up with an answer, but here's what I discovered. As some of you have heard me share my story, my father was a preacher, and he had seven boys and four girls and a wife. And every time he would go on mission trips, he would come back home with a guest. He would pick up somebody and a week later show home with this one stranger, especially it could be a pastor or a child of a pastor in the village where he'd been for a week. He did this, and most of us never questioned. In many ways, it was a difficulty thing for all of us to accommodate this guest in our little tiny home, and often we're displaced. Well, guess what? All of us, the boys, five of us, actually six of us who are preachers, picked up this habit. In fact, today, if you go to any of my brother's homes, you will find people there, and, and you won't know where they showed up from. Most of them have one or two children, but there will be 15 people living there. Now, this even followed me to America. I was living in Walnut Creek at a restaurant. I ran into my friend Julie. Julie was sharing with me about her mom and dad coming to visit for Missouri. And as I listened, I said, well, they can live with us. She said, sure. So I went home, and I told Marlene, guess what? Julie's mom and dad are going to come and live with us for a week. Marlene said, David, really? What did you just do? So to make room for Julie's parents, we kicked my brother-in-law out of the extra room we had onto the couch, and his family lived with us forever. For actually, for a week, not forever. I guess they've lived in my heart forever. Um, but this was the experience that I wanted to let go, and not because hospitality is a bad thing, but it's because I needed to communicate with my partner. This letter was read to our congregation like to us this morning. Families were present, children, mom, dad, grandma, uncles, aunties, and others. And when the writer clearly mentions children, he wants us to pick something out of that. 
It is important for us to realize that in that time, children were a segment of society that was considered to be virtually without rights. During this time in the Greco-Roman world, many parents who did not want their children would put them out on the trash heap for people to pick up. Many kids were often turned into gladiators, slaves, or turned into prostitutes. You see, when this letter is read in this culture and in this context, in a church that elevates children, it is radical. Those who hear it wonder, wow, those who follow Jesus are now giving space to children. British preacher John Stott puts it this way. It was a radical change from the callous cruelty which prevailed in the Roman Empire in which unwanted babies were abandoned. Weak and deformed children were killed, and even healthy children were regarded by many as partial nuisance. And so when the church opened its doors and got counterculture and decided to accommodate the children, it was radical. It was testified of this church by a philosopher named Aristides when he wrote to Emperor Hadrian, and he said the following, falsehood is not found among them. They love one another. And from the widows, they do not turn away their esteem. They deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. And he who has given and he who has gifts to him who has not, without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as their very brother. For they do not call them brethren after the flesh, but brethren after the spirit and in God. What a testimony. What a witness of the church. Will you say amen? amen. I know Toy is not here, but I will represent. You see, these people were following Jesus, who had an, a particular ethic for children. Jesus had said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as this. So this letter we just heard, Angela and Parker just read for us, pronounces good news both, the, both to the child and to the parent. It pronounces good news to our families. So now let's start with the children. What does it say to the children? It says it offers two values. The first one, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. The first value is obedience. Often in our culture, we regard obedience as some archaic and ancient moral exercise that ought to be relegated to the past. Often it's treated as a backwards, primitive, moral idea. But I like to defar. I believe obedience is a spiritual discipline. It is a kingdom value that undergirds the home and family relations. I like to believe that obedience is the strand by which the whole family is weaved together. It is an act of self, of mutual self-giving. You see, true obedience, I believe, is the fruit of a trusting relationship. Trust, my friends, breeds obedience. 
while coercion breeds fear, resentment, and it demoralizes. No child wants to be coerced into obedience. We obey because we trust. You see the command, children, obey your parents, is a double-edged sword. When it says to the children, obey your parents in the Lord, I believe in the same vein, it silently, it silently whispers, parents, cultivate a trusting relationship with your children. Because a trusting relationship is the fountain of true obedience. I believe obedience is a spiritual response from a child to a loving parent who has, who was, who has been entrusted with the responsibility of diligently nurturing and raising the child into full maturity until the, ch the child discovers God's purpose for himself or herself. In Scripture, we discover that Jesus, too, was obedient. Philippians puts it this way. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus had, who being in very nature a God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being formed in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. I like to believe that Jesus obeyed his father because he trusted in his father. He had a trusting relationship with his father. Now, there are cases where we will disobey and where children will disobey. In fact, when a child is invited to indulge in something that is illegal, immoral, and unethical, in such cases, the instruction of the Lord is clear. In Acts 5.29, Peter puts it, puts it this way. Shall we obey God rather than man? You see, in antiquity, children occasion had the right to disobey if parents were mentally or morally depraved or, they were, or what they were saying was in conflict with the Torah, with the law. The fact is, every parent will agree, obedience makes parenting fun. It makes life easy. So value number two to the children. It says, children, honor your father and mother. To honor means to respect and love. When these words, honor your father and mother, were proclaimed as one of the great commandments, those who heard it recognized that God was laying a foundation upon which a nation would be built. So this is not just a cultural or moral slogan. God understood that if a people and a nation was going to be built out of 12 tribes, out of people who might not actually want to get along, God chose honor as one of the principles upon which this nation would be built. You see, honor secures the vision of the future. When we honor our parents, when we honor mother and father, we have a future that is secure. You see, obedience can be fact because we've all been there. 
We've all been told to do something, and we just did it, but not with joy. We have all seen a child fake obedience. You've seen those little cutie pies. We call them cutie pies. They're adorable. They're pretty. They're nice. Turn into little monsters, clench their fist, and walk away with an attitude like a little chihuahua saying, I am just going to do it because you made me do it. Sorry, I'm like an actor here. I feel terrible. Well, that is not obedience. The difference between obedience and honor is honor cannot be coerced. Honor is voluntary. So what is honor? I like to believe that honor is a grateful expression to those who have made significant investments on our behalf and in our lives. We honor our parents because we honor the ways God has used them to impact our lives. On this Mother's Day, we honor our mothers for the ways they've made a difference in our lives, doing our laundry, picking us up, doing everything that we could do, eating all their food. We honor them. So what are the ways you might want to honor your mother or your parent this day? I have a few suggestions. Number one, appreciate them. Proverbs 23, 22 says, when your mother is old, show her your appreciation. Let her know that she matters. Number two, share with them. We all know what gives joy to our parents. Often they do not want much. They just need to know that they're still valued. When we share our time with them, and in some cases, especially for aging parents, when we meet their needs, when roles are reversed, we attest to God's faithfulness. We recognize that they've spent so much caring for us. Someone asked, how do you know who is a parent? And the response was, ask them for their wallet. You will discover that where there used to be money, now there are pictures. That's how you know who a parent is. My mother has been very central to my upbringing and to my life and to my story. As I've shared with you, my father died when I was very young, and my mother was left in the city with 11 children in a very small house with a church, and many people abandoned her, even the church. A church that had 500 people dwindled to about 20 people because the death of my father was a big shock. And at the gravesite, my mother whipped and she said these words, five years later, people will come here and they will not know what God has done. From my mother, I learned deep faith. I learned to believe that what is impossible with people is possible with God. I learned from her that God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. I learned from my mother that every child, every child, is worth our attention, our love, and our affection. I learned from my mother that no child deserves to be forgotten, dismissed, or abandoned. And so my mother worked hard. She visited every orphanage, every organization that would help children. I remember one particular time when I went with her 
and we stayed out at the gate. We waited for hours, and the gates opened, and the big car rolled out, and we walked back home, miles. And for many months, she searched for help. And so I've come to grow up to celebrate mothers and motherhood and all those who play these roles in our lives because my mother has been the picture of a God who is so passionate, who loves us and cares for us. My mother has helped us build a a neighborhood of seven boys and four girls. And many of her children, she's brought in herself and those we've dragged in ourselves. When this letter was heard, it was important for them to understand that God is mindful of families and that God wants families to be part of the mission of advancing love, justice, hope, and God's kingdom in the world. And so if you're here today, and maybe your relationship with your parent hasn't gone well, I want to share with you that there's good news for you too. The final verse says, parents, fathers, do not provoke your children into anger. In other words, God sets a boundary to the way we discipline our children. God sets a limit. Number two, God says, do not provoke them into anger, but bring them up with discipline and instruction of the Lord. In other words, in all you do, be their coach, model for them what is just, practice what is right, and teach them the faith. Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it this way. It is from God that parents receive their children. And it is to God that they in turn, they turn or to lead them. You see, children ought to be pointed to the God that brings them in our midst. In our Methodist church, we have a towering example of Susanna Wesley. I like to believe John Wesley, Charles Wesley, and the people called the Methodists would not be if it were not for Susanna Wesley. She invested time in her children. She prayed for them. This woman is often not told, but she's our grandma. (laughs) She's She's the grandma, the matriarch of the United Methodist Church as we know it. So if you're hurting... If today is difficult for you, I want you to hear these words. I am deeply sorry. I want you to know that God abhors, hates, dislikes child abuse and child neglect. In this church are mothers and parents who want to care for you. So you say, what is my invitation in this story of loving the neighbors in our family? Here is your invitation. Do not deny your hurt. Do not repress it or excuse it or ignore it or fake it. First of all, what happened to you is not your fault. If you're carrying a lord of unfinished business with mom, dad, or sibling, including people who are long dead and gone, we want you to know that we care and that God offers you hope 
in the desert situations of your relationships. You see, my friends, we worship a God who came to us through a family, through a child. We worship a God who knows how to be a parent. We worship a God who has a plan for each child. And finally, throughout my child, there was one moment that has stuck with me because words hurt. We were in the choir and we got to sing for Princess Diana for an HIV AIDS thing after I moved in the orphanage. And one person got up and when she was talking and explaining who we were as a choir, she said, refer to us as these destitutes. One of the older girls in the choir, Vicky, was very angry. She understood what destitute was. I didn't really understand it. I think I was just too young. And ever since then, I've remembered Vicky standing up for all of us, watching over us, protecting us. She was the mama of the choir. In this church, we have ministries like Sunny Day that remind us that our aging parents are important to God. We have ministries like Healing Housing that remind us that all our missions are intended to restore the family, to restore mothers. We have ministries like the Child Sponsorship Program that remind us that orphans are to children of God. And so this day, hear these words. God says to you as God said to his very own son, Jesus Christ, this is my son, this is my daughter, this is my child in whom I am well pleased. And to the mothers in this place, when Jesus hang on the cross, dying, he looked down and saw his mother and turned to the church and to the disciples and said, Mother, these are your children. So where do we go from here? It is a difficult task. It is not an easy one. But when you go, go back home. The challenge is that God wants to restore the first neighborhood. And the first neighborhood is a family. Talk to someone. Make that call. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.